Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I paid the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! We're back another week, another edition of Fizz 5. Hello, everyone. I'm Adam Gatkin alongside Francesco Simone. It's the best time of the year. It's crossover season. We've got both football and basketball going on. Maybe some people wish we didn't still have football going on. I was going to say, Adam, the best time of the year. Maybe get rid of football <laughs> and then it'll be the best time of the year. I wish it was the best time of the year if we had two good teams to talk about. But unfortunately, the football team right now in the middle of a skid, but an exciting game tomorrow, to say the least. I What'd mean, you call it? An exciting game, I think, in uh, the terms fight, of you're yeah. playing football in Yankee Stadium. Sure, that's, have, fair. that's you, fair. You have the 100-year anniversary, whatever. That's topic number one. Number one. So in terms of the actual football, I think exciting might not be the right way to put it, but yeah. it, it's going to be an event, and yes. I think that's exciting in its own right, Syracuse and Pitt. Playing in Yankee Stadium, the 100-year anniversary of football being Mm -hmm. played at the old one, but still same same thing. And I mean, if you're talking about actual football, this is going to (laughs) be a really, really rough game. Well, you got a pit team, Adam, who's starting quarterback Phil Dracovic, who has been playing college football for two decades. He's been playing college football as long as I've been alive, it seems like. He's now playing H-back and on special teams. Um, Syracuse's starting quarterback has some sort of mysterious injury he may or may not play. Their backup quarterback has some sort of mysterious injury he may or may not play. Now, we can't know what those injuries are and their status of it because Dino talks on Monday at 11 a.m. and the doctor's not until 3 p.m. on Mondays, so there's that. Um, so, listen, is there a world in which Luke McPhail's playing quarterback tomorrow? I suppose that's not an impossibility. Adam, I can't frankly believe that we're at this point. Yeah, and I didn't think it would be Luke McPhail, to be honest. I, yeah. I, I'm shocked that it is. But if it is, it, it can't get worse, I don't think. I mean, I mean, No, it what, can't. You're right. From what Carlos Darrell Wilson did last week, where he completed just seven passes for less than 50 yards and had four interceptions, I don't think it can get much worse. This is a pit team that's really struggled as a late too. So I think you talk about a Syracuse team who actually does have a chance in this game because yeah, for sure BC was by no means a pushover with the winning streak that better that than it was Pitt on. though. But yeah, I mean I better would, than Pitt. I, I would argue BC's better than Pitt. BC's but. better than Pitt, and you almost beat BC, so yeah. should be able to to beat Pitt. I, I I think that Pitt's a really interesting team. Their quarterback. Christian, it's like a Canadian name. Veyer, I think, is, is how they say to Veyer. Veyer is yeah. how they say to pronounce it. I've actually seen him play a couple times. Went to Bolus in Maryland, which is sure. very close to One where of those big I grew time up. MIAA schools, yeah. Uh, IAC, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, great, great lacrosse program. Sure. Bryson Shaw, who's USC's best so I, defensive th- back player. That's the, the Catholic schools? No, no, that's the WCAC. Uh, okay, it's too which many. We'll, which we'll in get there. to later. Okay, we'll, we'll get sure. to the WCAC sure. oh, later we will. when we talk we basketball. But but that that's IAC. Really bad football usually. Okay, but he was the guy who kind of stood out. Was at Penn State and actually had a lot of excitement mm-hmm. around him early on. Made the switch over to kind of a rival in Pitt. Sure, and just with everything that they've had going on, maybe maybe he can actually do something here because. 
I mean, he's kind of gotten thrown to the Wolves last two weeks, taking yeah. on Florida State and Notre Dame, only scoring seven points in each of those games. But when we look at this Panthers team, only losing 24-7 to to Florida State is not bad by any means. No, I, I, that's very true. Now, it's hard to go with the whole, you know, the, the, the six degrees of separation. Syracuse got blown out. They didn't quite get blown out, so maybe Pitt's a little bit better as a result. I don't know. Um, yeah, listen, you're right. He got thrown into a really difficult situation. He's got a bad team around him, to be, to be frank. So maybe not quite his fault necessarily, but the crux of the issue here, Adam, is that Pittsburgh is a bad football team. Syracuse is a bad football team the way they're playing right now, and we have no idea who's playing quarterback for them either. If Garrett Schrader was starting, I'd actually feel pretty good about this game, if I'm being honest. Me too. With anybody else, I just I don't know. Yeah, because outside of that, it's just it's a massive question mark to me. I think that this game really all just depends on can LeQuint Allen really take over, and can the defense get a couple of takeaways? Yeah, th- th- that's another important thing. But I, I think we we started to see LeQuint Allen really kind of come into his own form in the last game against BC. Had those two big runs, led to the scores, but outside of those two plays, it, it wasn't that much. True. I think I think that this is really LeQuint Allen's game. I mean, the last time he played in Yankee Stadium in the pinstripe bowl, he had Just a career great. day. Yeah. So I, I think whatever it is, it's going to be him having a big game on the ground and then also getting him involved in the passing game again yeah. because that's what he did so well in the pinstripe bowl last year, and that's what we haven't seen in a couple weeks is LeQuint Allen getting a lot of receptions. If you go all the way back to the Army game, this is something that I feel like I remember every single week Dino Baber saying, he said that LaQuinn Allen's a guy who he says who he sees getting a hundred yards both through the air and on the ground every single week, mm-hmm. and LaQuinn Allen just isn't getting targets through the air anymore. Yeah, well, to be fair, nobody's really getting targets through the air as of now, especially with Garrett Trader out of the lineup. Yeah, um, but yeah, listen, it's very very fair when you think about him as a runner too. He had 142 yards against BC last week. You mentioned there was a 56 yard run and about a 35 yard run. Most of the time, right, the, the run-of-the-mill plays were one yard, two yards, no yards, a couple of negative ones, negative twos. But part of that is also because BC knew Syracuse was going to run the ball, right? They knew at a certain point in time Carlos Del Rio Wilson was not going to throw unless it's third and 20, right? So it's, it's hard for LeQuint to be consistently effective on a play-by-play basis because the defense knows what's coming, right? Why would you not just stack the box against the Syracuse team and dedicate nine, ten men to stopping LaQuint Allen? So it's going to be difficult. And by the way, the offensive line's not good either, right? So let's get to that as well. Um, so it's hard for LaQuint, for as talented as he is, to get the ball in space, right? And to your point about throwing in the football, screen passes, swing passes in the, in the flat, whatever the case may be, you got to get him the ball where he's not in a condensed situation with seven, eight, nine pit defenders within 10 yards of him. You're, you're 100% right. Because when he's got the ball in space, he can make a man miss. He's not making seven guys miss at once. No, and, and I think that a lot of that is on Jason Beck. Yeah. I, I said I thought that Jason Beck started off each half really well mm. against Boston College. If you remember the very start of the game, it went wildcat yep. to, a, to a bubble screen to Dan Villari. To, to a rush to, to LaQuinn Allen for yeah. a first down. Yeah. Just just stuff like that where it was a little bit creative. And then as the halves wore on and you start to get away from that script, mm-hmm. everything just fell apart. Yeah. But if if Jason Beck can get back to that and, and stick with that, the 
run the ball, and then a quick bubble screen, and then you know maybe a quick slant in there. And I mean, I, I don't know how well Luke McPhail can run the football, but maybe, but, <laughs> I, may, but I, maybe some read I, options. I, I don't feel there. great yeah. about that. Yeah, I don't know. That that's why that's why that's what really kind of concerns me is if you get rid of. That was the one thing with Carlo De Real Wilson is that he could run the ball decently a well, bit, and sure. when he did run it, he looked okay. Yeah. If you then get to a quarterback who can't run and yeah. can't really throw as well and you don't have receivers who can get open, that's where your big issue is going to be. But to me, the big thing is just can you be creative? Yeah, it's a tough spot to be in for Jason Beck, right? Because when you got a quarterback who's throwing for 37 yards and four interceptions, how much creativity can you do, right? You mentioned the bubble screens. You mentioned the wildcat formation. Cool. That's creative when you do it once in a while. But if you do that over and over again, then the creativity kind of dies, right? Um, so when it's all said and done, you can be as creative as you want as an offensive coordinator. If you don't have the Jimmys and Joes to get it done, I don't care where your X's and O's are, right? So if your quarterback can't complete a pass and is throwing for less than 40 yards, you're not going to win the football game, even though Syracuse almost did, right? To win this game, Syracuse has to do one of two things. Miraculously get Garrett Schrader back or score a defensive touchdown. Score on special teams. Do something weird to give you that little bit of a leg up and then shut out a bad pit offense. All right, well, we will see Syracuse and Pitt at Yankee Stadium. That's a 3.30 kick. We'll have our crystal balls up on the website at orangefizz.net pretty soon from when the time you are listening to this, so check that out. But that's all the football talk that we have today. Let's get into topic number two. That's basketball and basketball recruiting with Donnie Freeman officially signing. Number two. Well, probably the, the biggest name so far that Adrian Autry has gotten to commit to Syracuse, yep. Donnie Freeman. Signed, was it his letter of intent officially? He signed. He's he, in. He, he signed he's in. his letter he's of in. intent. He's in. He's in. Yeah. And a a big signing. I've seen Donnie Freeman play many, many times in person. He's a guy who's from the DMV area, from St. John's College High School, a school that has forever produced a lot of great players, a school that right now has produced one of the greatest just personal stories in the entire sports world. Uh, Pat Behan, his head coach, currently in a battle with ALS. Mm-hmm. There was an incredible ESPN piece that they did on it. They did a whole show about it. Uh, I had the pleasure of talking to both of them many times. I've done a lot of stuff in the D.C. hoop scene. Donnie Freeman, I can just say as a person, is a great person, but also as a basketball player. He is, I think, that good of a basketball player, and he's the type of player who can seriously transform the Syracuse basketball team into kind of that next era Mm -hmm. of Adrian Autry where he has his guys. Well, you talk about what Adrian Autry wants to do, and through the first couple of games in the exhibitions, you see that they want to play quickly, right? They don't want to necessarily play half-court offense the entire time. They want to get steals, get hands in the passing lane, move up and down the court with pace because they got the speed to do it. And Donnie Freeman's along those same lines. He's a big, tall, lengthy guy, but he can also handle the basketball. He's kind of that... Maybe not quite a point forward, Adam, but he's a forward who, if you ask him to dribble and drive by himself, he can create his own shot. Doesn't necessarily need somebody else to do it for him, which is going to be obviously huge. Yeah, I think if there's anyone, sorry, if there's anyone on the Syracuse team that he kind of reminds me of, it's it's the athleticism and just pure effort all the time of a Kadir Copeland, mm. who can also shoot and play a little bit more of half court sure. offense, which. Almost sounds like the perfect basketball player, yeah. to be honest. But yeah. no, he, he's a guy who, at St. John's, who, you know, I talked about that story for, for a quick moment. But with that whole story last year, they were a top 15 team in the, in the mm-hmm. country yeah. with, 
not that many top players outside of Donnie Freeman. They had a, a couple other pretty decent guys who are playing kind of Power 5-ish basketball, a couple Big East and mm. Atlantic 10 or kind of bench guys in Power 5, but not that many stars, so you wouldn't see a team like that usually in the top 15, top 20. But they were there, and that's because Donnie Freeman was legitimately running the offense. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, every time I've seen him play, he's lost, <laughs> which maybe not the greatest thing, but it's always been he's the one who's shown up, and then the rest of his team just couldn't get it done. And it is ironic that you say that because I talked to Brendan Strawn after the Canisius game on Wednesday, and I asked him, you know, what's your favorite thing about Donnie? And he mentioned the athleticism, the shooting ability, the ball handling. But he also said that he thinks Donnie's a winner, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, like you mentioned, St. John's being a top 15 team in the country, now he's going to go to IMG for a senior mm-hmm. season. But he mentioned Peach Jam, right? He won Peach Jam. Um, and that's a, a thought process, a mentality that – the Syracuse coaching staff is trying to bring back into this program because if you look at this team, Adam, right now, nobody on it has won anything. I mean, who yeah. has, right? Judah, no. J.J. was on a terrible Notre Dame team last year. Benny Williams, if he ever comes back, he's never been to the NCAA <laughs> tournament. Um, Naheem McLeod hasn't played real minutes on a good team. You know, you, Malik Brown obviously hasn't. Justin Taylor, Chris Bell, no. Kyle Cuff was on a championship team at Kansas, but he didn't play. So nobody has, like... You know, big-time, high-level winning experience on the collegiate level. Now, these guys all won when they were kids and then when they were in high school, right? But there was something about Donnie's mindset that Brendan Strawn, who is Mr. DMV, right? He's the recruiting guy in Maryland, Virginia, in the D.C. area. He said that they really like that type of mentality and want him to bring that to the Syracuse program. Yes, yeah, so, so so St. John's, I said, we, I said we'd say the WCAC. They won the WCAC sure. last year, which sure. is the Washington Catholic Athletic Conference. That has your, your PVIs, mm. which is PVI really just a feeder to Duke at this Saint point. St. John's is in D.C. St. John's right. is in D.C. Right. It's I think it's a call on military row. St. John's mm. is the Under Armour school. Mm. The guy who created Under Armour went to St. John's. Oh, okay. So sure. their lacrosse team is now great, sure. really good at football, too. Uh, and then also in that conference, you have Gonzaga. That's where Caleb Williams yep, went. Yep, yep. Judah Mintz started off there. Somebody else went to Gonzaga, too. A lot, lot of people have gone where to Gonzaga. Where did KD go? KD went to Montrose Christian, okay. which does not exist anymore. Okay. My parents grew up literally right next to it, there you funny go. enough. Nice. But uh, there, then there's also DeMatha, which is where sure. Mark L. Fultz? No. My uh, my uh, eighth Someone. grade my eighth grade history teacher played basketball at the math. Then Colgate. Who's the guy who who went to Washington and was a top pick? Markel Fultz. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Markel Fultz. Fultz. Sorry. Yeah. Markel Fultz went there. A couple other Hunter Dickinson went to sure. Dematha. So sure. th- this entire conference, best best conference in the country, and he won that yeah. at St. John's, who usually does not win it in mm. basketball. I then would always see him play in the D.C. State Tournament mm. where they would lose to a team worse than them sure. right after coming off that mm. high of winning the WCAC, so that I would then see him lose there. Mm. But at the end of the day, he was always someone who like would be willing to talk after a loss, which that's you good. didn't always yeah, that's see. Important. And a lot of times players on the St. John's team would say, oh, we don't really care about this. We've already won our important title. Mm. He was always upset. He always, he always yeah. wanted to win, which is something that, that I think says a lot. Donnie Freeman... I think is someone who really might be a little bit underrated just mm-hmm. from the times I've seen him play. He's as, moving up, though. I mean, yeah, some some outlets have him as a five-star now. Yeah, and, and as you said, going to IMG, so now going to be much more, I think, not that number one ball handler mm-hmm. all the time, which I think will help him once he gets to Syracuse. Sure. Because, I mean, why? of course you'd want your best players at IMG because 
it teaches well, them how to play college basketball. And think about it. Justin Taylor, Jesse Edwards, yeah. Quidir Copeland went to IMG. Who else has gone to IMG? I mean, a ton of guys yeah. Syracuse has had, as of recent, have come at IMG. Yes, so you want that. It teaches them kind of the ways of college basketball. But that's all with Donnie Freeman. Let's get into the actual team that we've got this year, what's going on right now, and that's the start of topic number three. Number three. All right, well, the perennial debate, man versus zone, we've already seen both this year. Yes. Syracuse 2-0, and and, and they've played a little bit of man, a little bit of 2-3, and I think overall the defense has been just a little bit shaky. I, I would I would argue that's a little bit of an understatement, too. Yeah. Um, my contention has always been over the last couple of years when it, you know the, the general thought process has been, oh, Beheim doesn't know what he's doing, he's, he's lost his way, he's washed, whatever the case may be. The problem isn't necessarily playing the zone. The problem is you're not good at playing the zone. The same thing applies to man-to-man defense. It's not so much what style you play. It's how good your players are at being defenders, right? And a lot of people say defense is effort. To a point, right? But I think there is a skill set in knowing how to get away with certain things, knowing what position to be in when certain shots go up, how to rebound, how to put a hand in a guy's face at the right time. It's not as simple as, oh, all you got to do to be a good defender is try harder. I don't think this Syracuse team is made up of people who are good at playing defense. And that's obviously a problem because you can scheme as much as you want. But if the talent level is there, much like we talked about with the offense right now, if you got a quarterback who can't throw, I don't care how much you scheme, you cannot be good at defense. Yeah, absolutely. You have to be a good defense. You can't just straight up teach someone defense. Exactly. Like, like that, I feel like that is a big misconception is there's a lot of players that you see like, oh, this guy's such an athlete. We'll just put him into the program, and he's going to learn defense. You have to be a good defender. There's skills that come with playing defense. There have been NBA players who have made hundreds of millions of dollars because they're good at at playing defense, right? Yeah, it's not just something that you can throw into the system and say, okay, go do this. But I do also think at the same time it it takes time to get everyone to know how to play that man because you go from last year where the returners are are solely – practicing zone and, mm-hmm. and now you're teaching them how to play man again and then okay wait hold on two weeks before the season let's teach them zone now do zone again right that, that's what yeah. Autry said that I didn't fully understand is that he was asked after the first game when did you start the zone he said two weeks ago yeah right the whole thing with the zone and why it's so good and why it was so special at Syracuse was this is what they do right it's complicated it's complicated, and, and you teach it to, to them two weeks before the season. Yeah. And I know it's a lot of returners, but you also have J.J. Starling into the mix and yeah. some guys who didn't play that much last sure. year. So I just I feel like it's too soon to maybe press the panic button and yeah. say this team's defense is going to be as bad as we've seen in past years mm-hmm. overall. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely concerning that maybe these guys just – might not be that good of defenders. Well, it's it's actually it's funny you say that because in my report cards article that came out after the Canisius game, I gave the defense an F because they were terrible. But I said, is it time to panic? No, of course not. It's been two games, right? But is it legitimate to be concerned right now? I think it absolutely is because this defense has looked, frankly, bad against a, a New Hampshire team and a Canisius team, one out of the America East and one out of the, the MAC, right? The MAAC. <laughs> um, so... And also, by the way, they're playing Colgate on Tuesday, who they've gotten shellacked by two years in a row. And then you go to Honolulu, 
and you play Tennessee and then Gonzaga or Purdue. Then you're probably going to play Chaminade in Game 3. But still, you're playing two top 25, top 20 teams, maybe top 10 teams, in a two-day stretch where you are really going to be tested defensively. So we're going to find out really, really quickly whether it's time to panic or not. Absolutely. I I think this Colgate game is going to be a really interesting one in terms of that. I I know you can't put, like, that much into this, but Canisius destroyed Colgate in a scrimmage before the season. Yes, one of those secret scrimmages. scrimmages. So if that says anything about maybe Colgate not being as good this year or maybe Canisius was was it a – Pretty decent. Maybe Canisius goes the, to the tournament. Who knows? Right? Maybe, yeah. maybe Canisius is the best team in, in the MAC. The MAC, yeah. Uh, maybe, but absolutely. I mean, giving up more than seventy points against New Hampshire and Canisius is a concern. I think the start of the New Hampshire game, the defense was great. Great, it was terrific. And it, it was that energy mm. and that just going one hundred and thirty percent the entire way that you love to see. And then that fell off, and New Hampshire still couldn't shoot. Yeah. And yet, and yet, it found a way to score seventy-two points. So, there's a lot of things that that I've looked at and said, "Hey, you know, give it time." And that's me with a lot of this team is just, "Hey, look, give it time." It's a lot new, but Colgate's a team that's gonna make you pay. Yeah, if you give them open threes, it doesn't matter if this isn't as good of a Colgate team. The whole brand of Colgate is still the same. Yeah, for sure. And no. that's that. It's gonna. Make its threes. Yep. Take advantage of every single opportunity that you give the Raiders. Mm-hmm. And if you're a team that's still kind of new to these defenses, what does that mean? You're going to give up some open shots. And yeah. Colgate can make you pay. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, it, it's it's crazy to think about. If you, if you go back a decade ago and say, this Colgate game is going to be a turning point for Syracuse <laughs> basketball, right? It, it makes no sense, but it really is. Because if you if you lose to Colgate – then you're right back where you were. But if you beat Colgate, all of a sudden you feel, okay, we're at least not going to be maybe atrocious. We might not be great, but we're going to be somewhat reputable. Um, it, it's interesting you, you talk about the energy level because I have the, the honor of talking to Alan Griffin, who's a great guy, assistant coach for Syracuse, obviously. And he said after the Canisius game, listen, the biggest difference between the first 10 minutes New Hampshire versus last 30 minutes New Hampshire was effort was at 100%. The guys were playing together, and then we kind of just fell off. And one thing he attributed that to was early season conditioning level. So maybe in January, that's not how we would play. We would be conditioned to go the whole 40 minutes, but right now, still trying to get our legs underneath us, which is, again, not ideal, because you're playing a Colgate team who you've lost to twice in a row, who you need to beat, and then you're going to play potentially two top 10 teams a week after that. So you got to get this figured out quickly. Yeah, you do. I mean, we're not going to go through the whole schedule, but you know, you said if you lose to Colgate, you then have pretty much two guaranteed losses after that. Yeah. Okay, maybe you beat Chaminade. You better beat Chaminade. You better beat Chaminade. But then four of your next five games are going to be really tough. You got LSU, you, you got Virginia. LSU, yeah. Virginia, Cornell, you should easily beat. Should but beat Cornell, yeah. Then you got Georgetown, who looks a lot better this yep. year with that Cooley. And then you go play Oregon. And then you're pretty much into the ACC schedule. Yep. So you need these wins now. Mm-hmm. You need these non-conference yep. exactly. wins because – this is a hard non-conference schedule. It's a brutal non-conference schedule. It's, it's brutal. Yeah. You, you need these wins, especially in an ACC, which looks really bad to start the yes. year, yes. where getting a lot of wins in the ACC really might not help you that much in, in terms of actually making it to the NCAA tournament because only yeah. four or five teams might make it well, out of the ACC gonna, this year. I'm just going to say, there's a world in which you you probably, even if you're the five seed in the ACC tournament this year, you probably don't feel great about your chances. Yeah. So you cannot 
in any world lose to Colgate. You can't no. have that loss this no. season if you want to make it to the NCAA tournament. I think that's a must-win game. I'll be there for Fizz, so there you go. if they lose, we'll, we'll have some big Insta <laughs> we'll reactions after that. We will be talking to that, so make sure to follow us on X at Orange Fizz for everything throughout that game. But with that, let's move on to topic number four, and it's a big part of this defense, big part of the offense as well. It's J.J. Starling. Number four. Well, I think the most important and the biggest addition to the Syracuse team this offseason J.J. Starling, the local guy, the former five-star from Notre Dame. He's this incredible athlete. He just can't shoot to start the year. I know. I know. It's a concern, right? He shot 30% from three last year, which obviously you kind of went into it saying, all right, this is not exactly a sharpshooter we're getting here, but the threes are one thing. Adam, he went one for five from the foul line against Canisius. I mean, it's it's a problem because he is – the fastest guy on the court, for not just for Syracuse, in games this season, more times than not, he is going to be the fastest man on the court for either team. Great, right? Terrific. He can get to the basket. Cool. When you get to the basket, it means you're going to get fouled. You're going to go to the foul line. Shot about 60% from the, for, for, on free throws last year. That's not good. But then if they know, if the defense knows what you're doing, they know you're, you're going to try to drive to the basket, they're going to play you that way and make you shoot. And if you can't make those shots, then why would they, you know, give you a little bit of extra room to drive? So he needs to shoot. Listen, do I need him to be Buddy Beheim? No, right? Do I need him to be adequate as a shooter? Yeah, at least in the mid-range to give a little bit of a different look. Yeah, I think that's an important thing. It's not just that he's not shooting threes well. Outside of, really, the paint, he's struggling to knock down any shots. And I think there's a whole bigger picture in this and. The Syracuse half-court offense that comes with when you don't have J.J. Starling as someone who can really make plays in the half-court offense and be a, a playmaker, mm-hmm. then you get into a spot where this offense really does not look great because nope. he's replacing that kind of, I don't want to call him a black hole in Joe Girard, but really mm-hmm. could do one thing, and that was yeah. shoot off of a screen. Sometimes, yeah. And you replace that with a guy who can really only – play offense in a fast break when he's, yes. when he's running the floor, that doesn't Im- improve that much when it comes no. to half-court offense. No. no, it doesn't. You're 100% right. Now, you could, in theory, try to play him as a traditional point guard and have Judah play the two, but that makes no sense, right? Because you want Judah to have the ball in his hands. Yeah. So, you're right. I mean, it's, it's kind of fitting a guy, a one-dimensional guy into a place where Syracuse needs somebody who can shoot because you got concerns about Chris Bell. Whenever Benny Williams comes back, he's not a volume shooter either. Justin Taylor, who you can't take out of the starting lineup the way he's playing right now, he's great, but you need somebody else. And oh, by the way, Judah, as as much better as he got from three towards the end of the season last year, you still don't love his three-point shot, even though he made a couple against Canisius. So you need Starling to at least be a guy who can do it. Yeah, because, you know, you said Justin Taylor has been great, but he's also been great in spurts. Sure. He kind of has those five, ten minutes where he catches fire. Yeah. Kind of like you see a lot of times from a great six-man. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the peak of Justin mm-hmm. Taylor, and on a great team, that's what he is. I yeah, think He's a great six-man who can come off the bench and provide a spark when you really mm-hmm. need it. Right now, he is your second-best offensive player in a half mm-hmm. court. Yeah. And when you don't have J.J. Starling there – to create plays, you know, th- this is a team that if someone slows you down, 
is not going to be able to really score the ball. They've got over 80 points in, in each of the first two games, mm-hmm. but you're playing teams like New Hampshire and Canisius. Well, and that's the point, though, because when J.J.'s so much more physically gifted than the guy yeah. he's going against, he's going to get to the basket. Exactly. Right? Nobody's going to stop him. But when you're playing Duke, when you're playing Carolina, even when you're playing you know, uh, a team like Oregon out in Sioux Falls, they got the athletes, right? And when they got the athletes to at least kind of match you, it's going to be very difficult for you. Yeah, and then you get into the half-court offense where J.J. Starling has not shown that he can be a legit playmaker and can't knock down those shots. Then you get into a spot where we're talking about an offense that really can't get it done and is one-dimensional with Judah Mintz having the ball in his hands 24-7, trying to find something ISO, and maybe he kicks it out to a three to Chris Bell, who maybe knocks it down. I mean, he's three for 11 to start the year. Yeah. So Had a put-back dunk against Canisius, which is the first time he's ever done that (laughs) in his life. Yeah, that was good. You hope he's getting better. Yeah, you hope. But there's a lot of concerns with that, but... Honestly, I, I think the one thing that, that I might be most concerned about with this Syracuse team is something that we haven't even talked about yet, and that's topic number five. Number five. I know this might be a little bit crazy to say. I've never been the biggest fan of, of this Naheem McLeod transfer. Oh, I haven't either. But he's played an average of 14 minutes a game each game so far, and I feel like some people have said that he's looked really good. To me... I don't I don't see it at all. He's this is what he is. When he's playing a traditional center on Canisius, who's eight inches shorter than him, he looks like a video game character, right? Because he's grabbing rebounds one hand to ten feet over the guy's head. Cool, right? He's not as strong as he should be, even though he's two seventy almost. He gets beat he gets beat down in the paint. Yeah. He's not quick enough to guard any any big men who can go on the perimeter, which we saw that against New Hampshire. And offensively, what's his post move? Doesn't have one. His move is, I'm bigger than you, throw me the ball up there, and I'm going to try to dunk it. Which, against a 6'8", 6'9", guy, okay, cool. But against anybody else, I don't love that strategy, right? And defensively, can he block some shots? Yeah, when he's going up against six-foot point guards. But he also, he gets pushed backwards, right? So... I've always been of the opinion that I got to see it to believe it with Naheem McLeod because, you know, 7 4 is cool and all that. But just because you're tall doesn't mean you're an effective player. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, he wasn't a very effective player no. at Florida State ever, except for when he played Syracuse. Except for when he played which, Syracuse. Which I, yeah. think, which I feel like is part of the thing. Everyone remembers how much he dominated the Orange. And he did. And he was great that game. Yeah. But outside of that, could barely be on the floor in the ACC. He played less than 15 minutes a game. Yeah, and he's played less than 15 minutes a game so far against New Hampshire and Canisius, which to me says, and, and it's what you saw against New Hampshire especially, they just figured out a way to take him out of the game uh, yeah. to a point where if McLeod was on the floor, he was getting absolutely exposed. There yeah. was points where he was just standing there running around just trying to chase someone 30 seconds behind yeah. the actual pace of the game. Well, that was the, the that was the the whole crux of the issue was that Clarence Daniels was New Hampshire's five-man yeah. who was 6'7 and a perimeter player. So when McLeod's got to guard somebody like that, he has no chance, which is why. He only played 10 minutes against New yeah. Hampshire. And so, so he can maybe, okay, now guard a like 6'11 guy in the ACC. Yeah. But that guy's then going to be a lot faster. Sure. 
I mean, so, so that I think you know the one player maybe he can stop is like a DJ Burns at, at NC State, sure. but he's not strong enough. Yeah, right. So so the, there's a lot of issues that that I see with Naheem McLeod in in this defense, in the offense too, as you said, doesn't really have any post moves other than hey, look, I'm taller than you. So we we get into this debate that I think us at Orange Fizz love. Mm-hmm. There, I think there's two players that everyone at Orange Fizz loves. It's Kadir Copeland and Malik Brown. Everybody loves Malik Brown. Nobody and, more than me. And so, I mean, I, I think this kind of ties back to the J.J. Starlin conversation and playing fast. Yeah. Do you get to a point where we've seen what we've seen with Nehima Cloud? Doesn't look that much more improved than he ever was at Florida State. Yeah. Is this team's best five with, with Malik Brown at center? Oh, my I mean, I think it has to be. Here's the problem, though. He's not a center. No, but that's the issue, right? He's not. A, he's he played center in high school in public school in Virginia, right? Which at six eight, yeah, you're the center. Um, the issue with him, though, he was getting bullied by a guy who was two forty, right? Because he's only two twenty, and he's six eight, six nine. He's not that tall either. Uh, I say as as a man who's five foot eight, <laughs> but it, it's it's a square peg into a round hole because he's not a traditional center. Ideally, he's your he's your traditional power forward, right? But on this team, what are you going to play? Peter Carey at center? No. What's going on with Mooney or Hema? I got no idea. Um, so, is their best five with um, with Malik Brown at center? I think in some cases, yes. If you're going up against a center who's seven one, no. Benny I, Williams guard him. I, I mean, like that's that's. I, they don't have a center is the problem. They don't have a legitimate option at center. And you know, you can't make a trade in college basketball, right? This is kind of what you got. You gotta hope either McLeod gets exponentially better or Malik Brown figures it out because right now you got nobody. Yeah, and and this was the, the big question coming into the season. And I feel like this is I don't I don't want to say that my expectations coming into the season were, were that high. I thought this team could could make a turn make the tournament for you sure. You did? I, I thought they could make the tournament. Okay. But from from what I've the NCAA seen, tournament, yes, okay. But from what I've seen so far this year, in just two games, with I mean, JJ Starling hasn't taken any strides in terms of shooting, and neither has Nee McLeod or really Malik Brown in terms of of being a center. Just two games in, my expectations have gone far down. Yeah, I mean, mine were pretty low to begin with. If I'm being 100 percent honest with you, but I I don't. I don't see a path forward, especially with that center position, because you need the center to be some sort of part of this, right? You can't just hide somebody down there, both defensively and offensively, especially when you have two guards in Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling, whose best attribute is driving the basketball to the basket. You want somebody around there who can be that little bit of a secondary option who, all right, I'm double-teamed, but there's my center. I can give it to him and let him make a play. If Jesse Edwards was on this team, I'd have no problem saying they're an NCAA tournament team. The fact that he's not and the fact that they've downgraded so much, it's it's killed him. It really has. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's something that hasn't been talked about as maybe much as it should is you could have kept Jesse Edwards. You could have. You easily could have, but... He he's gone. He's at West Virginia, and now this is a Syracuse team without a center, maybe with a, a similar hole in a half court offense with what we saw last year at the two guard, mm-hmm. and at least so far, not that big of a pr- improvements everywhere else. Yeah, Judamins has looked better from three, 
Yeah. Not that much better. Uh, Judah, I mean, Judah's going to be great no matter what. Yeah. He's going to get his, but he can't do it by himself is the no. whole point. And Chris Bell struggling to shoot so far. Mm-hmm. We, we've seen Justin Taylor and Kadir Copeland in spurts, but they've also had a lot of moments where yeah. they're kind of just on the floor not doing much. And Cal the one Cuff guy, has been fine. Yeah. The one guy left is Benny. And, you know, when he comes back, is he going to be your savior? I, you know. I think, I think right now you might be looking at, hey, maybe Benny Williams being the guy who took that big of the leap is kind of your only hope left of this team actually, you know, being a legit contender for a top four spot in the ACC this yeah, year. But I agree. At the end of the day, just two games in. Yeah. It's a long Plenty season. This team's still trying to figure out. How to play man-to-man and zone at the same mm-hmm. time. So it's going to be a long season, and we'll have coverage for the long season, no matter how good or bad it is, on orangefizz.net. Also on our X, at orangefizz. Make sure to follow us. We'll have coverage of every game. Our Liam Griffin will be at Yankee Stadium tomorrow covering that game. We'll have our crystal ball for Syracuse Pitt up in the morning of the game. So make sure to follow us again on X, at orangefizz for all of that coverage. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's edition of Fizz 5. For Francesco Simone, I'm Adam Gotkin. As always, go on. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.